we come to that passage, so it'd be terrific to leave it open in front of you. There's an outline in the leaflet that'll give you some idea of where we're heading. And obviously, the topic is on generosity. We're talking about money today. This is not everyone's favourite topic. And, uh, and often you hear in Australia that people avoid coming to church because we talk about it all the time. Uh, so we are talking about it today. I don't know that we do talk about it all the time. In fact, I know we don't. Uh, but I think it's still a significant thing for us to reflect on. But if you're anything like me, it's actually hard to hear. Um, it's, it's hard to listen in, I think. So I'm going to pray that the... In fact, continue praying the, the prayer we were praying in that song. And praying for the Spirit of God to refresh us, to refresh our minds, our hearts, to stir us so that we actually think his thoughts after him and understand his purposes for us. So let me pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, you're a God who speaks. We thank you you're a God who changes lives. And Father, for so many of us, we're just, just aware of the profound changes you've brought in our hearts and our minds. And as we tackle this topic of generosity today, thinking about what it means to be uh, followers of yours, followers of the Lord Jesus, that you'll help us to have understanding and clarity. Uh, but also, what we're really praying is you'll stir our hearts, our lives, so that we'll, we'll think about this world and life in this world uh, through the lens of all you've done for us and your son. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was about two or three years ago, and I was, I was in the city at church there. I'd come out into the yard, and this uh, lady came up to me. She was a pensioner, and she's been a pensioner for a long time. She's quite an old lady. And she came up to me and, and explained that she had been saving her money for some time, not knowing what she would use it for, that she had a, a you know, she thought she should save. And I knew, like I've known this lady for, I reckon, 30 years, and I know that life is tough for her from all sorts of different angles, and particularly financially. So she said she'd been saving up. That morning, we had an announcement about the mid-year conference for university students, and uh, asking for people to pray, and even asking for people to give some money so they might be able to go on the conference. So she came up to me and she said, I've been saving this money uh, now for about 12 months, and what I'd like to do is to use it to support a student to go on mid-year conference for five days because that time is so important for students. It shapes their minds and their hearts for the rest of their lives. I think that's exactly what I should use that money for. Right? Two thoughts went through my mind immediately. The first was, uh, money is really tight for you, and as far as I can tell, every other student I know has more disposable income than you have. That's what I was thinking. And the second thought was to say, no, don't do it, right? Uh, but I, at that point, I thought, what right have I got to deprive this, this lovely lady of her joy at using her resources for the work of the kingdom in that way? And so I just said, thank you so much. She wanted to remain anonymous. So she effectively gave me the money and I passed it on to the person, the Lauren Hull equivalent in the city, who was looking after students and it was deployed to support a student so that they could go on mid-year conference. That is typical of that lady, actually. Uh, she's just overflowing with that joy and generosity with not very much. If you're anything like me... Uh, historically, I'm not instinctively generous. That's not my default mode. Now, I'm, I'm the son of a bank manager, okay? Now, in our family, we never had enough money, right? We, we could never save enough money. 
and and security was all tied up in making sure that the bank balance kept rising, 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 even though um, we may never tap into that, but it was always there, you know. Instinctively, my remote control setting is not give it away, give it away, unlike my wife who's very good at doing that. Uh, what I thought we'd do to start with is do a bit of a, uh, uh, a test. Now, this is an internal test. You don't have to tell anyone once you've been tested what your result was. All right, but we're going to do a generosity test, okay? So the generosity test is, you know, I'm going to draw a line, invisible line in front of you, right? Uh, ungenerous, mean up this end, generous at this end, okay? So are you sort of struggling, you know, want to hang on to everything, or are you generous, freely give things away? Where would you I'm going to run my finger along that line. I want you to mentally to lock in when you get to the point that would describe what you think is a, a good self-descriptor for who you are, okay? Mean, greedy, right? Generous, right? I'm giving you lots of room in between, okay? We're starting off with greedy, put up here. No, no, I'm not going to put up here. <laughs> Mentally lock yourself away, right? Greedy, we're moving along, we're moving out of greed, we're finally balanced like most of us, you don't have to put up your hand, right? <laughs> we're finally balanced somewhere here in the middle, right? We most of us like to think we are, right? We're moving towards generosity, right? We're just like Jesus, right? right? Now, I know when people do that to me, I'm resistant to participating even mentally. So I'm going to go backwards so you can lock in just in case you're one of those people, all right? Right, we're up here at the generous end. We're moving back, right? Back towards the middle, we're halfway, we're poised, finely balanced, we're moving back, we're now at the greedy end. Okay. I just think it's an exercise that's worthwhile going through because I think we find it hard to work out the answer to the question of whether I'm greedy or generous. See, in parts of the Bible, it's really clear the instructions from God, right? Uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. Clear instructions... And you'd have a fair idea if you'd broken any of those when you do it, right? There's not, it's not sort of too much grey in there, okay? Now, don't be greedy, be generous. How do you work that one out? I mean, how do you actually... It, it doesn't seem a yes-no sort of question, does it? it, it it's not sort of... That's not the way it's framed. And I've, so I've been pastoring, church pastor now, for 30 years... I have had numbers of people come to me and talk about issues to do with adultery or issues to do with stealing. I haven't had too many murderers, I don't think, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, like people have come to... Not once in 30 years has anyone come to me and said, I want to confess to you the, the, the sin of greed. Right? Not once in 30 years. Now, I take it that's not because people don't think it's a problem. But I suspect it's just hard for us to think about or we avoid the topic altogether. So that's why I think it's worthwhile spending some time on. Because the New Testament, the Bible generally, does talk a lot about greed and generosity. It actually refers to it an enormous amount if you read through the New Testament. It's an aspect of Christian maturity, and I take it that it's extraordinarily relevant in an affluent nation like ours for us to have to wrestle with. It's an issue. So as we turn to 2 Corinthians 8, this, this chapter... Uh, and the one following, talks a lot about this issue of generosity. But let me make it really clear, this is not a part of the Bible that's talking about why you should give more to make the church budget work. Right? That is not 
this part of the Bible. When you read through this section, uh, the context is that Paul the Apostle is writing to a church, one of a number of churches, in fact, he's, he's visiting, in order to collect money to take it to a poor church or poor Christians in Jerusalem. Okay, so he's in the Mediterranean area and going to collect money to take that money back to another church, effectively in another country. So it'd be like if we heard that a famine had hit uh, Sudan, the crops weren't coming in and people were starving. And I said to you, let's take up some money to send to the Christians, the churches in the Sudan, to support them in their time of deep need. Okay, that's the context of the argument that Paul has as we come here to 2 Corinthians 8. However, what it does is it contains some fairly radical principles and underlying thinking that are meant to drive our perspective when it comes to our resources and how we approach them. So I think there's application to us across the board, but that's the particular context that we're talking about. So let's look at it together. I want to talk to you, we're up to point number one in the outline if you're following it, the economics of grace, the economics of grace. Uh, I looked up a def Google, great resource, uh, definition of economics, it may not be, is anyone lecturing economics here? Good, that's reassuring, right? Uh, I looked up this definition of economics. It says it's a branch of knowledge concerning the production, consumption, and transfer of wealth. Right? Production, consumption, and transfer of wealth. When we think about economics from a, a Christian perspective, what I want to suggest to you is that it is controlled by the idea of grace. That is the key understanding for how you think about economics as a Christian person, resources. And I want to show you how that's worked out here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Notice what it says in verse 1. He talks there about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, when you hear someone talk about the grace of God overflowing, what does the grace of God overflowing in a church look like? I think instinctively we would go to things like, or it looks like people understanding that they're forgiven. People having an appreciation of the wonder and glory of God. Uh, people knowing how to forgive others. People just being full of joy. And you, know, you think about a whole lot of things like that, that the work of God in people's lives produces. Notice here for the Macedonian church, here is the example of grace overflowing that he points to. In the midst of a very severe trial, I think they're probably... Uh, difficult circumstances, could be persecution, but certainly financial. Severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Right? Grace looked like generosity in their lives. And then he goes on and talks about the example of the Lord Jesus and the way in which that fills out our understanding. You go to verse 9 in the chapter and it says... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Paul's pin-up boy for financial generosity is Jesus. And I say, well, of course, it's the Sunday school thing, isn't it? You know, you get asked a question, it's either Jesus or the Bible God. You know, you know that that's the answer, you know. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus is a really lousy example of financial generosity. Right. Now, don't quote me out of context on that, right? <laughs> Paul Harrington said Jesus is a lousy example. That, no, 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 no. It, let me explain. Lousy example of generosity. 
did Jesus have a wage-paying job? No. When you think about uh, the Gospels that talk about Jesus, is it full of stories about how Jesus gave away lots of money? No. <laughs> so unusual for him to be the, the, guy, the go-to guy about giving money away, which is clearly the context of this chapter. But of course, what Paul the Apostle is saying here is Jesus isn't just a model of financial generosity, right? He is the very one who is at the heart of all generosity, of all grace. Uh, so it applies in this area, but every area, because Jesus is the one who transforms lives, transforms hearts and turns us into generous people. His grace changes us. See where it says there in verse 9, you know the grace at that point he's not saying oh you've heard about it here's information you've received he's saying you know the way the grace of God in Jesus has changed you see Jesus the one who is eternally God the one who is the king of the universe through him all things were created this one he crosses the universe and becomes one of us and gives up heaven to join us. Not only that, he in due course gives up his life in horrible circumstances to die on a cross so that we by his generosity might know what it means to be forgiven and to have life. And what Paul is saying is Jesus is at the heart of all debts being forgiven, all hearts being transformed. What that means is if you are a child of God, then you are changed. You become someone who is, is thankful, not someone who's ungrateful. You're changed because you become someone who is content rather than someone who is envious or, or greedy. And you become generous rather than being stingy. So let me say, if you struggle to be generous, the key is not improving your technique for giving. Uh, you know, like we sat back as a church and we said, well, we need to do something about our budget, right? I know what we'll do. Uh, we'll try and make it compulsory for everyone to be on direct credit or direct debit, okay? Now, I reckon that actually if we could swing that, we'd probably get more money coming in for the sake of ministry. But how many hearts would be changed? All you'd have is better technique applied to your banking practices. What we're talking about is changed hearts, not just better systems. That's what goes to the heart of Christian thinking about this area. So I want to try and show you the way grace transforms attitudes and thinking. I'm going to pluck a few things out of this passage rather than just work through it. But hopefully helpful just to see how, how transforming what Jesus has done for us is. Firstly, you'll see grace uh, makes Christians beg to give. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? Christians beg to give. When uh, charities come knocking at my door or telemarketers get on the phone, I feel really infringed upon. Do you feel that way when people come knocking at your door? I don't like it at all. I think that says a bit about me, a fair bit about me actually. But, uh, you know, there's that sort of feeling when it happens. When church surveys are done, as I said before, people say one of the big reasons they don't go to church is because churches are always asking for money. Uh, last week, if you were here, Paul White did a financial update uh, from the front here. Uh, how do you feel in church when financial updates 
and done. <laughs> you know, do you go off into your happy place? Or, you know, like, what happens when that sort of thing occurs? I want you to notice the way these, these Corinthians, this church, these people, respond to this issue. Verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us, or begged is actually the word here, begged for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people in Jerusalem. And even though they were suffering trials and poverty, in verse 3 what they're told is, they gave as much as they were able to, and this is, this is telling, isn't it? And even beyond their ability. I would have just said that was unwise, but apparently it's godly. <laughs> they go beyond their ability to give. Now, here's the thing. Beggars, by definition, normally ask you for money, not the other way around. That's the way our world operates. I've got a mate who uh, works in Whitmore Square in... Uh, in sort of a social welfare organisation. I remember him telling me a story one time where he came out of his office late at night, last person leaving the office of this organisation. He just had to pull the door shut and then he was heading off home. Pulled the door shut, realised he'd locked his keys in the building and left his wallet in the building. And as he was standing outside this place in Whitmore Square, he was thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to go home. You know, <laughs> how will I get there? And he didn't have a phone or anything like that. And then this guy from Whitmore Square, a beggar, came up to him and asked him for money. And he said to the guy, look, I'm really sorry. I actually would give you money if I had any money to give you. And he explained his story to the beggar. <laughs> and the beggar said, oh, that's terrible, you know. And so he reached in his pocket, pulled out this great wad of money and <laughs> peeled off a $20 note and gave it to him so he could go home, right? But, but my... My friend says that that's pretty unusual in Whitmore Square. Right? It's not the normal way in which it works, okay? Now, that's exactly the point as you read this. It's not normal for people to beg to give. But I take it that's, that's a, the power of God at work in people's hearts. So let me come back to what I was talking about. How do you feel about people talking to you about being more generous with your money. How do you feel about that? Do you feel sort of um, gotten at, uh, infringed upon? Now, can I say, if you're a follower of Jesus here today and that's the way you feel, do you know the reason why you feel that way? It's because you're immature. Now, that, that probably came across a little blunt, did it? Sorry about that. But do you understand it's true? See, why can't we openly, with maturity, talk about this issue as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and be comfortable to do that? It's a sign of maturity that this is not a sequestered area, but an area that we're confident to address as the people of God. They beg to give. Friends, you will not delight God by having a sensible giving plan or actually by giving away lots of money but you will delight God by giving with great joy okay? hearts change let me move on to the next thing uh, they, they give with great joy uh, joy being the operative word here back in verse 2 their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity or if you went on to the next chapter, we didn't read this part, but in verse 7 of chapter 9, 
Notice they don't give reluctantly and that God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, as I said before, I, yeah, I'm the son of a bank manager. That meant we felt good about saving. Uh, different people have different sort of default settings. Others are in more into consumer therapy. You know, uh, they don't mind spending money at all. Others actually love fine or beautiful things and get a great sense of um, delight in being able to acquire those things. Some of us, when it comes to money, love the, the power or the influence or... Uh, the, the way people look at us, that, that money can actually achieve for us. Friends, the grace of God changes us at the core. Because what God does is he places a value on you because he has created you, he has made you for relationship with himself and that's how we understand our value. And when you appreciate that, the nature of the relationship with God dominating your existence, then... You know you don't get your joy or your value or your security from stuff. It's not that stuff is not to be enjoyed or used or in this world, God's provided it, but it doesn't tell us our value as people. We determine the value of things rather than them doing it in reverse to us, you see. That's the power of the gospel. That means you can give with great joy because you don't give out of insecurity or you're not giving away your joy in any sense. Notice also, uh, I don't know if you picked this up, particularly from verse 9 of chapter 8, the way in which we're to grow poor with purpose. Uh, we're to grow poor with purpose. Poverty is a bad thing. Uh, it's horrible not to know where your next meal is coming from. Uh, it's sad when you don't know how you'll possibly repair your car when it breaks down. It's heart-wrenching for people who can't provide the medical care that their children need because they don't have the resources to do it. It's difficult when you see people defaulting on mortgages and having to uh, sell up and move out of houses. Poverty, friends, is not good. But Jesus is commended for his poverty. That's what this chapter does. Why would you choose to be poor? Back in the 1970s, Howard Hughes uh, was sort of the, the Bill Gates of the 70s, extraordinarily wealthy and, uh, and very powerful. The interesting thing is when he died, he died as a pauper, even though he was very rich. So when they discovered his dead body, he was clearly malnourished for a long period of time before he died. His hair was scraggly and unkempt. His health was generally poor. His nails had sort of grown out and turned into great claws. You know, why would someone that wealthy die in those circumstances? And the answer was actually fairly simple. He'd lost his mind. His mental uh, faculties had departed from him prior to death and he didn't realise uh, how, how wealthy he was or that he had the capacity to do it. Why does Jesus die poor? It's not because he loses his mind. Verse 9, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Our world says it is just stupid to give money away. Quite honestly, it's, it's a crazy thing to do. You ought to spend it on yourself and looking after your family. You ought to save it to buy stuff that will give you pleasure and joy or trips that, that give you a lifestyle. 
you build that sense of your future and security. And if you've got extra on top of that and it makes you feel good, then give it away. You know, if it actually helps you and your sense of self-worth. But I want you to understand that Christians grow poor with purpose, just like the master of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our treasure is in heaven. And our system of economics is driven by eternity, not just this world. We're not just a what-you-can-see-taste-touch-and-feel people. We believe in a future that God has provided. And therefore, we give so others can be rich like us in relationship with God. We are deliberate in that purpose. We grow poor so others might actually grow rich. That's the whole idea. They're interesting features. What I want to do just for a few moments as we, we wrap up our time together, though, is to try and apply these, some of these principles really concretely on the ground. Uh, that is, if I leave it where I've left it, we will go, go away and think, oh, some interesting theory here, uh, but I'm now free to do whatever I like with it. I've got no idea what to do with it. Uh, I reckon when, when I became a Christian, I was 20 years old, I was extremely well discipled or trained in different areas, right? Trained in the area of Bible reading, trained in the area of, um, you know, how to share my faith with other people, encouraged and supported in how to pray. No one ever sat down and talked to me about this issue, right? What to do with my money. And Sue and I have just had to work it out over 35 plus years of marriage because we really didn't have much idea when we started. So how much should I give, right? Get out your pens, I'm going to tell you what it is. No, I'm not going to do that, but, but I'm going to try to help you work it out anyway as we work it out together. Some people say what we should give is, is 10%. That seems to be the pattern in the Old Testament. Uh, 10% tithe, therefore Christians should do that. And then you have arguments about whether it should be gross or net wage that you give from and that sort of thing. When you read through the Old Testament, actually the tithe looks more like about 18.75%. And you go through the Old Testament, there seem to be a series of things that you do with your money that it's not neat by any means. And uh, yeah, so it's difficult to work out. When you come to the New Testament, tithing is never mentioned or endorsed as being the principle for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, what you get is, like in this passage, generosity being the way that you measure it. But as I said, generosity is tricky to work out, isn't it? Uh, how do you apply it? I want to suggest to you that I think the how much question, how much should I give question, is the wrong place to start. And I'm not sure it's all that helpful. The first reason is because it's built on the wrong presumption. That is, the question is, how many or how much of my resources will I allocate for the work of the Lord? That question is driven by individualism and atheism. See, how much of what I have will I give for the work of the Lord? Right, a Christian perspective is that everything we have is God's from the start. It's not ours. Yeah, we're, we're entrusted with it. It's not ours by right. So the right question is, how will I use what God has entrusted to me for his glory? See, we're not 10% tithers, we're 100% tithers. How will we allocate that 100% is the question. So then, the second thing is, how do you quantify generosity? How do you quantify what it is to be, you know, greedy, generous? See, I misled you. It's, it's, I don't, it's a hard thing to actually do, I think, 
want you, let me go to a slightly different area. Let's say this week, in one of my quiet moments, I'm reflecting on my life as a husband right, to my wife, Sue. And I think, Sue really is an extraordinarily lucky woman, isn't she? You know, uh, I am such a loving husband. She is blessed above all other women because I am so loving. And I don't, she couldn't do much better than me, I don't think. You know? Now, obviously, that's just... I love her the right amount. No. Do you ever get there with love? You know what I mean? Like, can you ever go, yes, I'm now, I've arrived? I don't think you can. I think it's the same when it comes to generosity. How much will I give? How much did Jesus give? I think it was everything. It's, it's, it's the wrong way of approaching it. But I do understand there's a need to be practical. Need to be practical. So what I thought I'd do is I'd just tell you what Sue and I do. Right? I, I probably won't give you the specific dollar amounts, but I'll try and give you a fair idea of the way we approach it so you've got some idea of how, how we're trying to do it. What we do is we sit down and we add up our, our income. So me, I've got my income as a church pastor. Sue has a couple of days a week part-time work and... Uh, we put that money together and then we add in some benefits that I have uniquely because I'm a pastor. So you may not know it, but you provide the church that I live in. Feel free to come and visit anytime you like. It's your, it's your house, not mine, you know, but, but I live in that house rent-free. So what we do is we add in tens of thousands of dollars to my income because I don't have to actually pay for a house. And there are a few other benefits I get because I'm a pastor. Right? So we whack those in, in terms of working out what our, our global income is. The principle we operate with is that we're trying to increase the amount we give every year. Now, that's because I'm the son of a bank manager, okay? <laughs> I'm good with targets and goals, and I need something just to help me move forward. And the way we increase the amount is by increasing the percentage each year, right? Not the dollar amount, but actually the percentage of our income that we give away in order to achieve that, okay? This point in time, Sue and I now give 27% of our income away on that scale. Right, I won't tell you that it's, I won't tell you the amount, it's probably irrelevant, but we're at that sort of stage of 27 and we're aiming to get into the 30s. If we live long enough, we'll, we'll you know, we'll need refunds somewhere, but you, you know, so you can't go on forever. But, uh, but the idea is we keep on stretching in that sort of direction as much as we can. So at this stage, it's 27% of the gross that we have. Uh, we give 65% of that 27%, you know, so, if you take that as 100, we give 65% of it to the work of the gospel of the church that we're part of and the network that we're part of. And then the other 35% we allocate for missionary work overseas, uh, for local gospel work with uh, student ministry, uh, for Bible college work and for trainees who are, have come on board to get experience in that sort of way. We also allocate for overseas aid. Our circumstances feature in how much we can give. So at this stage in life, Sue and I are empty nesters. Uh, the weddings have been paid for. Uh, we don't have a constant depletion of food in fridge like we used to. Uh, where you know, we had two boys who just grazed constantly, you know, and it's different. Mind you, we do have grandchildren. I'm finding that they're more expensive than the children ever were. Uh, so you never escape it, I don't think, but that's our stage. I think empty nesters were in a good situation. 
our goal is to give more money away, but also our goal is to make sure that we want, well, that we pray that God will give us more generous hearts. So we're not just into a default setting of what we give, but we delight in giving at the same time. Uh, we also have an adjustment based on the way Sue and I are wired. So Sue, by her very nature, loves to be able to respond to opportunities to give as she's able to. So above that 27%, we've got this sort of fudge factor built in. It's the spontaneity percentage, right? <laughs> uh, Sue doesn't think of it that way, but, but I do. So we don't, we don't stretch to the limit. We sort of stretch to where we can then be generous beyond that because Sue likes to be able to do that. That's a good thing to be able to do. That just reflects our, our circumstances. We enjoy life. Uh, we still enjoy the good creation. We love going out for coffee or for a meal, but we do try and keep in mind the higher priority. Now, I've said that, not so you can say, how wonderful are you, um, because you may not think it's all that wonderful, but do you know what I mean? But I've said it so you actually, I want you to do the math. You know, actually do, because we can be very vague about what we do in this area, and I'm encouraging you to be specific. It is a blind spot. So let me just drive it a little bit harder, right? If you're here today and you're a pensioner, you may not have much to give, and that's okay, but you will want to give. I mean, that's the heart. If your income is above $150,000 as a household, let's say, it seems to me you'll be giving generously up to that figure. Once you get to that figure, just give it all away. Just give it all away. Why would you want to hang on to anything above that mark? Really? Now, I get that I'm being just a tad provocative at this point, right? And this may be irrelevant for most of you. But how much money does a person or a household need to live on, really? You see, we're meant to be thinking in a stretched way about how we do it. Friends, what I'm encouraging us to do is to excel in this grace of giving. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Excel in this grace of giving. You may remember you did the National Church Life Survey last year. That always uh, gives us feedback about the sort of gifts people think that they have and how they think they're being used. Um, so, for example, I think this is right for the Bay here. There were about 43% of us who thought they had the gift of being hospitable, generous with their households, that sort of thing. 27% uh, who have the gift of music, uh, you ought to let people know if that's the case. Uh, that's great. How many people do you think said they had the gift of finance? Okay. Remember, wealthiest, you know, one of the wealthiest nations at the wealthiest time in history on the face of the planet. That's us, Australia. How many people? 10%. 10%. We ought to pray as a church we grow in our prayerfulness, our love, our evangelistic zeal, that joy. I suspect we can do better in this area. We can grow in this gift, to be quite honest, and to press forward. Friends, let's pray God will help us uh, become joyful, extravagant, generous, and gifted givers. Let's, let's pray that God will help us do that. I'll pray for it now. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We know this is not uh, an easy for us, a topic for us culturally. And yet, Father, our great desire is that you'll, you'll help us, like in all areas, to want to work out what it means to be faithful followers of yours. Uh, please stretch us, grow us, encourage us, uh, help us to work out, practically speaking, uh, what it means to be generous. But, Father, we actually pray that in the midst of all that, you'll help us to work out the specifics of it, not to shy away from it, but to articulate that, but to have hearts that are transformed and actually delight in giving resources away for, for the sake of others and for the work of the kingdom. So, Father, please help us to do that. Help us to encourage one another to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.